While it takes an entire village to raise a child, we believe it takes an entire community to save one. The title of today's show is Spreading Hope, Saving More Lives. My name is Annette, and today I'm talking with Jeannie Wilson. Jeannie is a retired public education high school teacher, coach, and administrator in Jordan and Alpine School Districts. She also taught Alternative High School for eight years. Thoroughly loved working with the high school students, teachers, and administrators. They were all an inspiration to her and her family of five, now 20 with the grounds. She loved every minute. Jeannie, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Karen the Load podcast. I'm so excited to have you all here with us today. We have heard it be said that it takes an entire village to raise a child, but we believe it takes an entire community to save one. We are going to talk about the most important topic today of suicide prevention. You'll find on KarenTheLoad.com and in the show notes um, links to help support and help you support your children and those that you love in this very important uh, title of today. We all have a role to play. Absolutely. And I am so excited to, and thankful, really, to have Jeannie Wilson with us. Jeannie Wilson is a well-known expert on the subject of suicide prevention and has graciously consented to this interview to share extensive knowledge and experience to help us stay on track in this area so that every parent can understand the rules, how they can help support their children, how they can help support their community and every other child that they have influence over. So thank you again, Jeannie, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me. Just a quick background, uh, friends. Jeannie spent her career in education. She was my teacher. She was my coach in high school many years ago. <laughs> True. And she went on to, um, she was a very successful coach and educator, <clears throat> went on to uh, coach in the collegiate um, levels, and then came back to high school as an administrator mm -hmm. because she loved the kids. I did. I did and found that she had more of an influence on those high school kids, and that's where she wanted to be. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Just in the background, over the years, you always saw, you saw this gamut, this range of stress, of pressures of these high school kids. Did it get worse over the years, Was it, or was it always there? And became more prevalent? I think part of the biggest part of the problem way back when was, I think kids had stresses and pressures, but um, I do think the pressure on kids is much greater today to be perfect, whether that is society or their Facebook or their Twitter or their, you know, church or their, whatever it is, there are things that have expectations, even just family and parents. You get kind of, um, 
an odd duck in a family sometimes, and they feel a little bit like I'm not good enough. Uh, or, or kids who go to school and look at all these really popular kids and say, wow, I'm an idiot, or I don't belong here, or there's a million reasons why. But And I do think kids have always had those stresses, but I think they have absolutely gotten progressively worse in the later years. Absolutely. It's so much in their face. Oh, it's it's all over. It's all over there. And it's just in their face, in their hands. And there's always that comparison, which isn't good. No, it's not good at all. It's, it's not a healthy thing at all. No. As we were talking before we started um, the show here, <clears throat> talking about some of my feelings growing up. Mm-hmm. And that feeling like I quite fit in. Yeah. I was the odd duck. Yeah. Um, in my family, and whether in looks, mm-hmm. but really in everything, mm-hmm. I feel like I was I was that that odd duck. You know, my sisters are small and blonde. I'm dark <laughs> Picture and perfect. Well, <laughs> quite opposite, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I love them, but there was this there was this difference. Mm-hmm. And as the youngest child, it's it's hard to to. Find your who you are. Yeah, definitely. And to accept that it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I understand some of those just pressures and dynamics from a family standpoint. And then you go out into the world, and whether it's in school and in high school, and I always had friends. Yeah. I always had friends. Yeah, that came easy to me too. But I didn't feel like I had a best friend. Or groups that I could always count on to associate mm-hmm. with. I could feel fine in all these groups, but if I wanted to go do something mm-hmm. or hang out, I kind of felt like I was left alone because wow. that's interesting. I didn't have that mm-hmm. that that connection. So as you progressed in your career and you came back to um, to the high school realm. You first, did you go from collegiate to an alternative high school? I did. And and talk about a culture shock. But it was the best culture shock of my life, honestly. It was uh, going from, you know, um, Hillcrest High School up in Midvale, pretty normal. Didn't have that much, you know, it, it was pretty, fairly diverse, you know. And then going to BYU and coaching for five years in basketball. I love the game, but I wasn't in the right place and I knew it. Um I just wanted to be back with high school kids where I thought I could make a difference. By the time they get to college, they're either going or they're not going. You know, you're not going to make a little difference with them. And it's kind of just nudging them along and helping them get through college. But in high school, I knew I had this gift. Uh, It sounds cocky, but I don't mean it that way at all. But I was born with a gift to feel sensitive about other people. You know, even when I walk in a room now and I talk for five minutes, I, I pick up on things from people that um, I can tell when people are hurting, I can, especially kids. I, I can tell when they're struggling with an issue or whatever. I wanted to go back to that, and I'm really glad I did. And frankly, going to the alternative school is what changed my whole outlook on life in terms of how to deal with kids who are in trouble, deal with kids who are not following all the rules, and there's a reason they're not following all the rules. It's not because they're bad kids. It's not because they're idiots. It's not because they're just wicked, you know. It's because they have issues. There's something that's going on with them that's making them choose that. There's pain. There's so much pain. So much pain. You said this is a gift, and it is. It really is. It is a gift. and It can also be a burden sometimes. It can be a burden, and I, you and I share that in common. 
Yeah, very much so. And I feel like um, having that gift <clears throat> also comes some responsibility. Absolutely. And so for you to go back into this, this school where you can make a difference mm -hmm. and you can help these, these incredible kids who are lost. Amen. Who are Amen. hurting and in so much pain mm -hmm. to maybe find out who they are. Yeah. And that really was it. It was what it was all about. Was they didn't have any idea who they were or where they were going. And frankly, most kids don't. There are some. There are some who always they had their life planned out and they knew. And frankly, I was kind of one of them. So I'm I'm grateful that I still have that gift of sensitivity because I didn't have those issues in high school. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. That from day one, my dad was an educator. My mom was a teacher. Um, I just followed their footsteps, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. But most kids don't. And those kids in particular in the alternative high school, it was called Alpine Life and Learning Center. I spent eight years there with kids whose stories I could not believe. And it made me go, wow, no wonder. No wonder they're acting like this. Let's see what we can do to, you know, change that or help them out a little bit. At least see a different light. See some light. So it made total sense. Where they're at and their circumstances. Absolutely. When you found out and understood their story. Right. Okay, now let's jump again to you went to a traditional mm -hmm. traditional high school. Went to Mountain View first, actually. Oh, Mountain Met View. Mountain View for six years first. Okay. Which was a really diverse school. Very, very diverse. And I loved it. And I just thought, wow. Because it was very similar to... Uh, the kids that went to ALLC in terms of, um, there were some real strugglers there, but I loved them. And then I went to PG. Okay. That was the um, epitome of, to me, it was very traditional. Um, not a lot of diversity, but it had a good feeling the minute I walked in the door. I'll tell you that right now. I really enjoyed both schools. So, it, it, but it was different experiences. It's cool. So I love that. It was a stepping stone. It really was. So you start, you know, when you went back, you start in this alternative high school of, of you know, people that we are aware they're struggling. Yeah. There's no question. Exactly. And then we go to Mountain View. Right. And diversity. Oh, yeah. And it's Lots not of it. quite as easy to see. No, no. There were stories of pain oh, and struggle. Yeah, more than we can possibly imagine. And then you come to PG, mm -hmm. and there's still pain. Oh, so much. It's just hidden better there. It's hidden. It's it's behind the smile. Yeah. If you look behind the smile. That's oh, so true. What do you really see? Mm -hmm. And and that's, friends, what we're going to talk about today is looking beyond. Yeah. Look beyond that smile. Look beyond maybe the outward actions to see what might be causing mm -hmm. them to act that way or react that way. So here we are. We're at PG, and it has this wonderful feeling. It really does. It was a beautiful place. Set in the beautiful shadows of the mountains here. I mean, it really is a gorgeous area. It really is. But yet... There was something kind of hanging around that you knew you needed to do something about. Mm -hmm. What happened? Okay. It'll take me a second, but I'll do the best I can. Um, I, when I first got there, I was already pretty uh, sensitive to kids 
who struggled. And those are the kids I wanted to help at PG. Because frankly, the other kids are on their way. It's almost like, get out of my way. I know what I'm doing. Don't bother me. And it's not like they didn't need attention. They needed it in other ways. You know, I'd go to band concerts. I go to athletic events. I'd go to, you know, drama and all that other stuff. And, and they still needed the attention, but not as much. And I knew there were kids there that were really hurting. And um, so I kind of got a reputation for the one that wanted to deal with the kids who were really struggling. And frankly, that's not an easy task sometimes. No. A lot of administrators just don't want to deal with that because it's hard. And I don't blame them. I don't judge them at all. But it's hard. It's hard. And I can't <clears throat> even imagine taking that home with you. <sighs> but you know when there's a struggle and there's a concern. Mm-hmm. So here you're in the high school and you've got this reputation <clears throat> to focus not only focus, but you have a way to connect. Connect, I did. With these these kids that are that are hurting. Yeah. And to not take that home with you. Mm-hmm. It was definitely hard sometimes. I, I think, I'm just going to interject this for a second, because I think where my sensitivity came from was the fact that my father passed away when I was really young. I was eight years old, and he was my best friend. And I was, I was his little athlete, you know, I was his Tom girl, tomboy, whatever you call it, his athlete. And I spent 24 seven with him. And frankly, um, when he passed away, I have never felt such pain in my life. So I understood kids who lost parents or were just lost in general, or we just had a lot of pain for some reason. And I think that's kind of where I picked up on that is I, I understood pain when I got there. It was like, I wanted to help them. This might sound weird, but what a gift. I agree completely. I look at the loss and the death of my son. Yeah. And, oh. you know, no, we would never want anyone to lose a child or no. a father at a young age. But who we have become mm-hmm. because of? No doubt. I am so much like my father, um, not only because of the short eight years I spent with him, but because of... The things I had to deal with getting through that and trying to move on. And I was actually pretty good at skimming the top. You know, I was kind of kind of skimming the top. Uh, never really got deep when I was younger because it was too painful. I didn't want to do that. It was too painful. Yeah. And that's how so many of us mm-hmm. go through life. Absolutely. And that is one of the keys really in my life. But I had to get a, to a point where I had a support system. Absolutely. That... I trusted in mm-hmm. that allowed me to sit in that pain. It's true. To go a little bit deeper and to heal. Mm-hmm. But I do believe you need something, someone to be there with you to, as well. And I know you know this. I'm just saying, especially teenage kids, they've got to have somebody. And frankly, it can't, it's really often not their parents because they're mm-hmm. afraid to tell them of some of the stuff they've done and what they've been involved in. And it might even not be their church ecclesiastical leaders because they're going to feel guilty and they're not good enough. And it might not be even anything they've done, but what's going on in their head? Exactly. Exactly. There's just so much chaos and um, judgment and feeling that. And shame. And shame. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good one. Lots of that. And we just, I think I, my biggest goal was to teach kids how to deal with those feelings, you know, how to not beat yourself up so much. Because guess what? We're all imperfect. We are never going to be perfect here on this earth. And um, frankly... And thank heavens we don't have to be. Exactly. Thank goodness. We've got an out, don't we, Annette? We do. 
you said something there is that we need somebody. We need someone. Mm-hmm. I could never have done this without several yeah. someone. Yes. They are my angels. Yes. I have seen and unseen angels that surround me all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, no doubt about it. We want to talk a little bit more about how you became that angel and how others... An angel offering hope. Okay, thank you. Not, not perfect angels. Not a perfect angel. Because not one of those. <laughs> Moving forward, you're seeing this pain. You're seeing this suffering. You can relate to it. Absolutely. They don't know why you can relate to it. No. You can relate to it. But then there's those that you're working with that they can't handle it anymore. No. And frankly, I could see that coming in a lot of them. I didn't know how permanent they would choose to check out, and some of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at first I was embarrassed to talk about this because I was at Pleasant Grove High School and I was a part of that, and it was. But we had two or three suicides every year at that high school, and sometimes it was even down in the junior high. And I thought, man, we've got to do something about this. I just, I can't watch this anymore. And there were seriously several. I thought. If we don't do something now, we're going to lose these kids. And, you know, that's when we kind of decided to, you know, change our course. You changed your course. I did. Tell us we about did. this new course. Okay. Um, I don't even know how I got wind of this, but I think it was through my counselors and myself. And I went into the principal and said, man, we have got to do something about this. This isn't working. You know, I'd love to get the church on board to help us with this, but we have to take some responsibility. We can't make it all them, and we've got to do something. So I heard about something called the Hope Squad, and I'd heard it started in Provo with a guy named Greg Hudnell, who had had a, a really awful experience finding a, one of his students hung from a tree at his school in the middle of the night, and mm. he got called by the police and... He had to deal with that, and he just said right then, I knew I had to do something. So he started what they call the Hope Squad. The Hope Squad uh, was a group. You, you would hire a teacher to, to be to actually teach a class about how to give hope, how to deal with preventing suicide. Um, you know, the famous saying is that nobody really wants to talk about that. And for many, many years, I think that's why it happened so often. I, I think it has improved greatly because we've decided we have to talk about this. Well, it's like anything else. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's, we'll just sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. We'll pretend it doesn't happen. Well, mm-hmm. why do you think for generations there are things that happen in families? And they've been under the rug their whole life. Mm-hmm. And that, so they don't even think that's one more big deal. No. So when just... it was being shoved under the rug, it was like, what's one more? Nobody's going to miss me. Yeah. And that, that was so sad to me. So sad. So um, they have a teacher who teaches a class and kind of the class is about 35 or 40 kids. It's big, depending on um, how many kids in your school. But it's not handpicked by adults, which is what I loved. The year before we start Hope Squad, we put a survey out to every kid in the school and said, if you had to go to someone and talk about your Biggest secrets are your hardest parts of life. Who would you go to? That just gives me cold chills to talk about this. Because can you imagine being one of the 35 or 40 kids being chosen for this? What a compliment that is. 
And and then as a result, we took those stats and ran them and picked the first, the highest, the ones that were over and over and over. I'd go to this person over and over and over. So there were about 35 of them, 40 of them. We put in a class. Of course, we need their permission and their parents' permission. But it was amazing to me how everybody, and I think it's because our culture wanted change, just dove into this hand and foot. Um, We had a faculty meeting where we had the Hope Squad come from Provo High and explain to us what it was about. So I also had teachers sitting there going, oh, I might want to do this. So it wasn't hard at all to find a teacher who wanted to do this. Because they love their kids. They love them. They're in this profession. Teachers love their kids. they love their kids. Absolutely. Even the hard ones, they yes. love them. Even if they're hard, they love them. They want to help them. Exactly. I, you know, that stands out when you say that you put out a survey mm-hmm. and it's the kids who write down. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're saying, okay, we've got a poll here and we're yeah. gonna, we've got, we think these we kids We think these kids. Great. Yeah, no. Oh, it was no. all from the kids, which made it so much more special to me. In preparation for this, I did a little research. I found a young man. He was chosen okay. to be a part of this. Well, first off, he's telling and he goes through and he talks about how he didn't have time yeah. in his schedule. That most people he don't. Was, he was honored mm-hmm. and thought, wow, I can't believe people think this of me. He should be. And then he gets this phone call from a friend, mm-hmm. this girl. And she starts talking to him and he she starts saying stuff about how she feels about herself. And these suicidal thoughts and tendencies because he had already turned it down. Oh, really? Interesting. And he gets this call and he says, he had to do something. You know, not only this love for this friend and he didn't know how to react. Right. I need to know how to... to, Nobody would know that, especially kids wouldn't know that. That's what was so amazing. So it was this phone call that then he was able to get in there and he said through Hope Squad... Awesome. I have developed and learned the most important skill a friend can have, the ability to listen completely. Absolutely. That skill he has he gained as a senior through Hope Squad, mm-hmm. I can't imagine going forward. His, his life, life will be completely changed. The man he is. He will be the best husband, the best father, the best grandfather, the best church leader, the best. He will be such... So much better than he would have been. Because he has the ability to listen mm-hmm. completely. And he didn't even know he had it. That's what makes it so good. He didn't even know how good he was till he realized, ooh, people are depending on me. I better, I need to go do this. That is a fantastic story. You know who the, the kids think they would like mm-hmm. and they would go to. So you go to these kids and yeah. their parents. Uh, actually, I don't go. Oh. But I have a group. Okay. That is has come over the teacher actually and okay. her assistants, um, because frankly, uh, sometimes administration is a little bit intimidating, and right. they're like, "Well, I'm not gonna tell you anything because I'll get in trouble," you know. Right. So I didn't want it really in my hands. I had a very loving teacher that took over that with a couple of counselors as assistants, and they ended up making those calls and contacting the contacting those kids and saying, "Hey, would you like to be a part of this?" And I do not know if anyone turned it down or not, but I would be surprised. Maybe the first year, but after that, I think it's what everybody wanted to do because they saw they wanted to be a part of how it. good it was and how it helped other people. And frankly, deep down in, we are a society that is not meant to be tribal. We're meant no. to be together. And anytime you can fix holes in things that are broken, I think everybody wants to be a part of that if they are if they're offered the chance. Oh, I agree, and I think that's 
because we haven't been able to be together these last six months um, with the pandemic. No kidding. That's what's caused so much more of the mental illness that was always underlying. Absolutely. You know, but it's kind of become this tipping point. True. And so here we are, and you've got these incredible kids that are able to be on the Hope Squad. And um, my son was on the Hope Squad. That's awesome. But I didn't understand all of this. I'm sure you didn't. And and now I'm saying, well, I, of course, you know, because of his experiences, mm-hmm. this brain tumor, I mean, that's all my son knew. Exactly. Gave him these skills. Yeah. And they are the skills. And the ability to listen and things. Yeah. So, so here we are, <clears throat> this Hope Squad. What happened? What did you see happen once you started implementing the Hope Squad? Well, the first thing we did was we decided in the fall of the next year, because at the end of the one year we decided to do it, we voted them in. We got the teacher on board. She met all, got all the contact, the kids and the parents, all that stuff. So we knew who Park Squad was going to be. Then, of course, we mentored them during the summer. And then in the fall, we brought a, um, a professor from UVU. Her name is Susie Cox. Um, I'm sure some of you know her. She's brilliant and she's amazing. And the thing that she did, she did an assembly for the entire school about what kids are dealing with and their brains and what's going on and how come we're having so many problems, not being able to make good choices and, you know, not seeing the permanence of things like, you know, suicide and other things or the consequences of our actions. I mean, seriously, had a kid in Mountain View that stole a teacher's car right out of the parking lot. I'm like, what? What are you thinking? <laughs> he, <wasn't. laughs> he looks at me just like that. And he goes, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> I said, yeah. Well, Susie really put this out there well about how when kids are young in their teenage years, because a lot of social media and things that are always at their hand anytime they want it, they can Google anything. They can yeah, find the anything instant out. Gratification. The instant gratification. Um, they Their frontal lobes literally in their brains did not develop like ours did at that age because we had a freaking encyclopedia a b c okay let's go do that for 20 minutes and we're done you know but these guys are just overwhelmed with anything they want and so it's there they don't have to search like we did we had to process more things didn't come as easy to us we had to fight for things a nickel and a dime to get a candy bar for heaven's sakes right but um she really was a powerful speaker i wish everybody would invite her and the, I, I swear, you could have heard a pin drop in that assembly, which is not usual. And everybody walked out of there like, wow. So that was the start of the fall. And then the classes got going. And then I would see, they got shirts and stuff so people would know who they were. But then I could see kids going out at lunchtime and during breaks and reaching out to kids that normally wouldn't have a friend near them. And I just thought, this is working. This is so cool. Well, like I said, the first three or four, maybe five years I was there, there was several suicides, and I was devastated, and I couldn't do it anymore. And as I got the Hope Squad involved, and then I went to your friends, um, Gary and Elspeth Elspeth Green, and they are very much, very popular in PG in terms of helping with mental health issues. Um, They joined our group, and it just got going like so fast. I couldn't believe how fast it took off. And that is the year, at the end of the year, we had zero. We did not have one. 
Wow. And for the next five years, I think two or three, I was still there. And then two or three after, I they didn't have another one. So to go from two or three a year from zero tells me that Hope Squad works. That yes. Hope Squad is a life changer. And it's be- all it is about is teaching kids how to communicate with other kids in a way that they feel safe. That's what they need. It's that connection. Absolutely. It's that trust. It's that communication. It's learning. It's just what Benjamin said, you know, the ability to listen. Yeah. And we don't come by that naturally. No. We want to talk, you know. To listen and to not shame and to not guilt, but just to listen. Listen. Now, you know, Benjamin couldn't fix the problem. No, no, absolutely not. And and neither can you and I. But there are professionals that can help. That's right. That's right. And that we can um, we can lead to and mm-hmm. and offer because I feel like <clears throat> some of the the hardest things and the feelings is just that loneliness and feeling oh, like you're so you know you're an island to yourself. Mm-hmm. No one will ever understand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just not the case. It's not the case. We're all so different in so many ways. And technically, we are our own island when we start, but that's not what we want for kids. We want to make that island full of people. Right. We want to have them be able to share. So that's what the Hope Squad did, I thought, was it gave them a boat to sit in with other people. Love it. So they're yeah. all rowing together. Yeah. Yeah. And... And there's this destination of peace and hope. That's exactly what the destination is. It's not perfection. No. It's not, you're not evil. Are you, you know, I can't sin. It's, I need peace. I need hope in my life. And then we can get through just about anything if we believe. We've got to believe that there's hope. And that's a big deal. It is a big deal. I, I... When I was I was thinking about some things in preparation for this um, last night, and when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, freshman between my freshman and sophomore year, I believe it might have been sophomore and junior year. Um, in the springtime, my uncle committed suicide. Oh my gosh! And I loved this uncle of mine, mm. and and looking. Um, he was the odd duck in the family, mm-hmm. and but uh, there was something about him that I was always drawn to. That mm-hmm. I, I I absolutely loved him, and I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't understand the pain he was in. I didn't understand anything that was going on. All I could see and saw was my mom's reaction and and others and and just what happened with that with my grandma. And then that summer, um, our neighbors had a pool, and they all worked, and it was basically my pool. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I, I would clean it, and I would take my lunch over, and the big boombox, and oh, everything, and just Fun. sit out by the pool all day, loving life. And I hear sirens, and I'm thinking, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, I, they were close. And so I go check it out. And there's a neighbor who I loved, and his wife is kneeling, sobbing on the Ugh. ground, holding. It's brutal. Holding him. Yeah. And um, and he had taken his life. And the feelings I had. Ugh. And to see 
to see it because he was in the front. Yeah. And those feelings haven't left me. Mm-mm. Those thoughts, those experiences, <clears throat> and the impressions. And I have often wondered, you know, everybody, but they had so much, you know, going for them, yeah. and they had this, and they had that. and But no one wanted to talk about, well, what? I never heard about mental illness. No. I never heard about depression. Mm. It was, so, you know, fast forward 40 years, and here we are. Oh, Having a conversation about how we can help prevent suicide. Yes, absolutely. It's critical. And I think it's the thing that I look at and I'm so happy for is that this state in particular has found a way to just talk about it. We They finally realized we can't hide this anymore. We've got to talk about because it. Because before it was <clears throat> the impression that if you talked oh, about it... Yeah, then, then they would go do it. They would go do it. Yeah, that is exactly what it was. Don't talk about it because then, like, if a kid takes their life at school, do not talk about it and say anything because that means more kids will go take their lives. Whereas that's not really the case. The case is the kids that knew that kid really need to be talked to. They need someone to talk to and say, what is this about? Most people do. And we just didn't realize that. But it has opened up a door in Utah, especially. I don't know about other states. But here we've gone from hiding our feelings about anything that's just not pleasant to we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this. I don't know if you know a Tara Nakin Hyatt or Ryan Hyatt and their stories about having to deal with, uh, she had a father who took his own life and her husband tried to take his several times. And it was just, they have come together and become the most amazing team of Suicide prevention leaders in the state of Utah. They do the walk up in Salt Lake. They go all over the country and talk and help people understand what we can do and how we can help people who are really hurting. Because there are things that we can do. There are. And and thank you for the introduction to them. We're working <clears throat> on scheduling a time that... Um, they will come on and be guests on, cool. on our show. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But we can. And that's the key is yeah. we can. We can. And the stigma behind going and getting help from professionals. Exactly. I feel like everybody should have a counselor. So do I, Annette. And, <clears throat> and I am so grateful. For Elizabeth. Absolutely. And, and the help and the hope that she has given me in my life. Yeah. And I wouldn't be here doing care on the load today mm-hmm. if it weren't for her. I, I believe that. You know, I, I, I don't know that Hope Squad would have started if we had just girded up our loins and said, we're going to do this. I mean, you can't wait. It is not a perfect time. It's just... It was a little hurried. It was at the end of the year, and we just jumped in full blast and decided we're going to make it work no matter what. And we had our bumps and bruises, but generally speaking, we went from two or three to zero. But what I, I love what you're saying there is <clears throat> you just figured out we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. You started. Yeah. You didn't wait till you did tests and plans and all this no, stuff. No, we did not like, have that kind of time. We have <clears throat> got to do something now. And so, exactly. friends... Don't wait. No, please don't. Just 
talked. You know, we all have this role to play. Mm-hmm. And it's learning how to communicate. It's learning how to, to talk, to not be afraid to approach someone. To let them know you're listening. Be a sounding board. You don't always have to be the one that's talking. And I've actually had to improve that in my life because I'm kind of a talker. But with kids, it was really weird, but I became just the opposite. You know, a kid would get in a fight, let's say in school. It's always about something else, you know. It's not just you're fighting, we're going to suspend you, go home. Which is the natural reaction for most administrators. It's like, you got in a fight, you're going to go home, shame on you, come back three days. But to me, it was different. It was like, something's going on here. I'm going to sit you down here in this room, and he's going to sit in that room, and I'm going to give you both a Coke and a cookie and walk out. I'll be back in five minutes, and we're going to talk about this. Because they, A, they need to de-escalate. They need time alone to de-escalate. And then they need time to verbalize what's going on. And seriously, 100% of the time, there's something going on with this kid besides that fight in the hall. Oh, And sure. they needed to get it out, you know, and... My job was to how to help uh, to help them find a way to get it out besides punching somebody in the face in the hall, and yeah. it's they were really open to that, really open. But I had to listen first. That was my motto: listen first, then absorb, and then try to problem solve. Don't try to problem solve without listening. You have to. You have <laughs> to listen. Oh yeah. So here we are. Um, there's a couple of organizations that I will put in the show note. First off, Hope Squads. Ugh, HopeSquad.org, and it will be there. I don't know if you're aware, but they're in over 800 schools. I wondered about, I'm glad you have that stat, so it's good to know that. 800 schools across 25 states in Canada. Oh, that's so amazing. And the program is slated to start in Ghana this September. Wow. During the 16 years uh, since it was started, um, specifically, Timview High School started a Hope Squad mm-hmm. 16 years ago. The squad has not lost a student to suicide. <sighs> That's huge. And as Hope Squad grows, um, they'll continue to spread that hope and save more lives. Mm-hmm. That's the whole goal. Exactly. And so we, in our own communities... We can do something about this. Absolutely. As we talk, as we learn, as we educate ourselves, we can help spread hope and save more lives. So Hope Squad, number one, there's bethere.org. There's listeners on call. Oh, it's amazing. You text the word home to 741-741. It's so important to recognize and realize you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I think so often we feel, like we said, we're that island, and we feel so alone, and we're not. And we have a ripple effect in our actions. Very much so. And the things that we do. So we're going to continue to focus on suicide prevention, on offering and spreading hope, and just recognize that we all have a role to play, friends, and we need to talk. Absolutely. We need to reach out, and we need to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. I think so often people forget, or they think it's selfish if they think mm-hmm. of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when we're on the airplane, and they tell us before the plane takes flight, mm-hmm. put the oxygen mask on yourself first. first before you try to... Well, it's the same thing, friends. You have to 
take care of yourself. Um, we've got a toolkit that we're putting together for, for um, ways to help you deal with and improve your mental health. That's awesome. And there's just so many resources out there. And so please reach out to us. Mm -hmm. um, we can help put you in contact with those that can assist you. Um, if you recall, we've had Autumn and Chris Bennett on our show, and she, um, I believe it was 14 years ago this fall that she attempted suicide. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and Jen Spencer, um, you know, her, she lost her brother and her sister to suicide, and she also... Oh, my gosh. Um, but she's with us. That's so great. And, and she is still here. It happens over and over and over. It does. And if you have those feelings of thinking that you'd be better off and everyone else would be better off yeah. without you here, you're wrong. Yeah. That's it's, not right. That's not right. It's, but it is their perception. I've learned this, too. Their perception is their reality. It is their reality. And unless they get a chance to do that talking and getting it out of their system to someone who's listening and really caring about them... That they bury themselves in that negative talk. They do. And that's what's scary is the more they talk to themselves and hide it, the worse it gets. Right. And there's that voice in your head. Yeah. All the that time. you can't can't make sense of and that demon that we just wanna just, you know, get the heck out of here. <laughs> it's real. It is real. And those feelings and thoughts and all of that is real. And we're not saying it's not. We're saying there's hope. There is hope. There is. And we hope that you recognize that there's hope. Absolutely. Jeannie, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad I got to come talk. It was really fun. We hope you have a great day, and we'll be uh, reaching out soon. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation with Jeannie Wilson. While it takes an entire village to raise a child, we believe it takes an entire community to save one. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us, as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Care in the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep caring.